This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello, and welcome to Season 6, Episode 3 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And Max is in underneath a pile of, of work. <laughs> um, he's work. He's digging his way out, but he may not uh, be back for a few weeks. You would months. think that beaming tribbles would be just a funny thing, but they really make <laughs> you fill out everything in triplicate to make sure that everything's taken care of. Yep, yep. What can you do? Oh, well. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll pick up the slack in his absence. Yes, we will. So today is the second part of our series on Harv Bennett as a television series creator with the first show which he created, which is The Mod Squad. Technically, I guess you could say he didn't create it. It was created by a guy named Bud Ruskin, and it was developed by Harv Bennett along with Tony Barrett and Sammy Hess. But as I understand it, uh, the the way that, that this sort of all went down is uh, Bud Ruskin was a cop in the 50s, and he worked as at like a, a an academy or something like that with a bunch of young up-and-coming cops. And he basically took his experiences there and wrote a pilot out of it. And he submitted the pilot. I don't know if it was bought or, or what. But the script basically sat around for like 10 years. And then in the 60s, it was uh, sort of discovered or whatever by these guys and Aaron Spelling, who's the executive producer. And that's when Bennett, Barrett, and Hess adapted the script, basically took the, 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 the bones of, of Ruskin's idea and built this show around it. So, essentially, he did create it. Yeah. I, I, you know, sort of the seed of the idea thing is like, you know, it's sort of like that uh, same debate that goes around uh, with modern movies about who's working on a script. And it's like, you know, somebody might have just come up with one concept and then, you know, three guys show up and they're like, okay, and they actually wrote something out of it. So, but the, the first guy's got to get credit. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking about this on my other show, um, Off Topic, where... Uh, like the 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 script for X Men First Class, you know, like a lot of people sort of praise the Magneto stuff in there, and the reason is because all of that Magneto stuff was originally written as a Magneto solo movie, yeah, which David Goyer was going to direct, and then they scrapped that movie, but they took all of the the writing that was done on it, and you know, built a, an X Men movie out of it, and because of that, the guy who wrote the Magneto script actually gets a story by credit on first class. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, similar situation here. But this show, um, it ran for five seasons uh, on ABC, uh, starting in, in 1968, which it lines up with season three of the original series. And it went, you know, until 1973. Um, Bennett worked on the first two seasons as a producer uh, him and I think Tony Barrett really were the two guys who were basically 
showrunners, you know, or, or, or something along those lines. And uh, after uh, two seasons, Bennett left. But in that time, he at least had a hand in writing eight episodes of the show. Um, Aaron Spelling was the executive producer. Kind of interesting because, uh, you know, it's weird. Like, as a child of the 90s, I guess, uh-huh. you know, I, I think of him as being the 90210 guy. Heck, as a child of the 80s, he was <laughs> everywhere. Like, Aaron Spelling was television for two, more than two decades. Yeah, but back in the day, he was doing stuff like this and Charlie's Angels and all that yeah. stuff. So, um, It starred three people, Michael Cole, Clarence Williams III, and Peggy Lipton. And, uh, yeah, do you want to give sort of a synopsis of what, what this show is all about? Yeah, three uh, three young punks, counterculture punks, uh, who are rebelling against the system, are brought in by the cops to uh, be used as a way to relate to... They're sort of an outreach program, but for police work. So it's the hook of the show is that here are these three characters that kids can relate to, but they're also upholding the fine dragnet tradition of figuring out who the bad guys are. And... Uh, there you go. And they have their... You forgot to mention Teague Andrews, who is basically their handler, yes. and who has one of the greatest names in TV history. So That's true. That's you know, true. That's, uh, that's, you know, it's a good show. It's, uh, you know, it's, it is a product of its time. It's, but there are seeds of so many ideas that came later on television that to sort of go back and watch it is like, wow, okay, I know what show this guy... And, Spelling worked on some of those shows, so it's sort of like <laughs> this is where he first planted the seeds of certain other things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the justification in the show for for these individuals uh, being cops is that uh, basically the LAPD, I think it was LA, right? Yes, they see the world as as a changing world, and uh, because of that. They they realize that there are places where they can't get to, you know. Um, yeah. There are, are are elements of society where they that they cannot infiltrate because no one would buy, you know. Uh, um, who's the guy from Dragnet? What's his oh name? yeah, Jack oh, Webb. Yeah, Jack Webb. No one would buy Jack Webb in in the hippie culture, you know. He's sort <laughs> or, of the antithesis, or of infiltrating that. a school. <laughs> exactly. So you know they figure okay here's three. Um, uh, troubled youths in a sense. Yeah. I mean, I think you know the the Michael Cole. I mean, the 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 tagline or whatever is um, uh, what one well, one black, one white, one blonde. Yes, right. That is the tag. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Which is like okay, I guess that that is somewhat accurate, but okay, yeah, and you know, uh. Clarence Williams III plays the black guy, and he was a teen, I guess, who was involved in the Watts riots. Yeah, which and, is a, a major cultural hook for a television show back then. Like, sure. Because that was, I mean, goodness gracious, the Watts riots were, I mean, that, that, was, that was something that had so many ripple effects. It's, you know, sort of hats off to them for bringing it in as part of a, a character's background Right, you know, as a way of acknowledging, I mean, it gives real weight to the show. The whole reason they're getting these people to go into the areas where the because they were acknowledging, just in the premise of the show, the problems that police were having with changing communities. Yeah, 
That's true. Yeah, for sure. And that and that's pretty cool. I mean, that that one, you know, like you were saying, it ties into real world stuff, and that's something that television doesn't really do all too frequently, which is cool. Um, Michael Cole, that would be the white character. Uh, not, I mean, two of them are white, but the the non blonde white character. Yes. <laughs> um, he was a rich kid who uh, embraced the the hippie lifestyle and was kicked out of his his mansion by his parents and uh got into trouble with the hippies. Yeah, Jim Ignatowski only more eloquent. Yes, and um Peggy Lipton played the blonde uh who was also uh, a woman and she was like the daughter of a prostitute yes, from from San Francisco. Yeah. So she was the flower child. Right. So the three of them are recruited by the cops and given a second chance. And instead of going to jail, they're uh, sort of uh, given a chance to become unarmed undercover cops. How many, how many movies alone have had that sort of premise? Where this is your one? I mean, my gosh, it's Escape from New York, only with a lot less eye patches. It's Suicide Squad. Oh you yeah, know? you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but um, but yeah, so 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 that's kind of the basic premise, and and like you were saying, they do have all sorts of crazy adventures where they're infiltrating various things like schools, or or those uh, those uh, sides of the culture which which normally would not be able to be infiltrated, and uh, because of that, and and you know this is kind of the cool thing about this hook, which I think is interesting, is they're they're able to delve into a lot of social issues of the time because these were all parts of society which people were uh, kind of conflicted on, you know, or society was kind of conflicted on, you know, and it could deal with these issues head on in a very sort of hip fashion. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I actually, I'm thinking we recently, because uh, we we were covering the work of Leonard Nimoy, I mean, in a sense, this is almost, um, uh, you know, a a spiritual uh, compatriot to Mission Impossible because it's about a team. It's like community level Mission Impossible. A team needs to go in and infiltrate something and figure out what's going wrong and give you a resolution in 53 minutes, including, you know, commercials. It it is a contemporary to Mission Impossible, and it has you know a very similar premise, yeah. uh, but it sort of deals with that premise in a different fashion, you know. Yeah, uh, but the theme song is uh, almost as good. I, I got to give Mod Squad major points for the theme song. The theme song, I mean, I, I guess it's cool. Um, the thing that that I was kind of struck by was the opening title sequence itself. Yeah. It makes no sense. <laughs> it's literally like <laughs> all three of them are running for their lives, <laughs> and you then, know, and then they, they catch up with each other, <laughs> and then they're like, quick, run, we are going to die. <laughs> and it, and it, you, the visual language of it is almost like their police handler is, he like pops out at one point, he's like, and I'm going to get you, but for yeah. good. It's very strange. They're not being heroic in any sense of the word. They're just like... We are all going to die. We better run fast so that we don't, you know? Maybe it was a metaphor for the internal conflict they felt at working with the police and their desire to escape this uh, sort of 
I, I'm sorry. I, I, there's only so far I can go with making that up. No, but, you know, I mean, there is something to that because, like, as strange as it is and as, as illogical as it is for anyone to be like, you know, it would be good at, for a title sequence to have these people running for their lives. Um, <laughs> as As crazy as that is, it does work. Like, to me, it's a lot more interesting than your average title sequence where you have yeah. a bunch of people doing crazy cool stuff and catching bad guys or whatever or la- yeah catching somebody and then laughing for that freeze frame right while the, uh, while, while the title comes up exactly yeah. this this has the freeze frames but they're freeze frames of terror <laughs> <laughs> you got a little free horror movie at the beginning of every episode yeah <laughs> it's the stuff of nightmares <laughs> but it's cool um so, so what were your thoughts on on the Mod Squad? Now, you watched a couple episodes, and I yeah. watched a couple episodes, and neither of us watched the same episodes. Correct. But, uh, but uh, what 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 did you think about what you saw? I, you know, it's fun. It has the same sort of, um, I you know, the, the same sort of procedural limitations, I guess, of the day, where you know the compared to the TV I grew up with, the reaction shots take a little longer than I would like. Um, the beats are a little bit extended, but the drama is there. I mean, they really cast this show well, especially, uh, I mean, w- with Clarence Williams at, in the second episode, the culmination of everything is there was a girl who was wrapped up in the bad guy plot. And at the end of it, he's crying and telling her and quoting Bobby Kennedy about don't give up on your dream the world can be a better place. I know how scary and tough it is, but don't give up. And then he walks out at the end and he laughs and they're like, what are you laughing at? He goes, I wish, I wish somebody had said that to me. And he's the guy with the troubled past with the, the riots in his background and everything. This is only the second episode and they've already like, they dropped this serious weight on the audience at the very end. Like that's so um, atypical of a show of this period for them, I mean, especially that early on, to have, uh, you know, a moment like that, to give an actor that type of opportunity to have a really dramatic character-building moment, I mean, in, a, in an episodic TV show. So, you know, while it's not exactly something that I think would uh, outrageously appeal to people, it's... It's worth going back and, you know, watching a couple episodes. Uh, you know, it's there's some surprising weight to it. Yeah, I agree. I, I was uh, very surprised at the, the quality level of this show. You know, I was kind of thinking that it might be something like, you know, a junior version of Mission Impossible or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's really not. You know, I was, I was shocked by how um, uh, socially relevant it was and, uh, you know, how well-developed a lot of the characters were and also kind of like the way that it was it was built um was interesting to me like i watched the pilot and that pilot is really cool because unlike well just a few years earlier where you had star trek where it was designed to be you know both of those pilots were kind of designed to be you know episodes that could fit anywhere they wanted to really you know i mean they didn't but they could be um you know, this wasn't that. Like, the, the the first pilot, like, the way that they introduced the characters and the way that they introduced this premise is uh, really kind of interesting and cool because, you know, they don't give you all the information off the bat and you sort of learn 
through the story that these kids are cops, you know? Right. And then that whole episode is sort of dealing with the fact that their their rebellious nature is at odds with what their new place is in in, in society, what their mm-hmm. new job is. And, you know, they end up breaking the rules and going against what their captain says they should do in order to uh, save the day or whatever. And in the process, you know, they get yelled at and it ends with them, you know, sort of like saying, we did it. And their boss saying, you guys are lucky that everyone didn't die. You know, this was terrible. And then they're like, oh. And then they come back, you know, from the commercial and have like the little stinger at the end. And they're basically sitting on the dock and they're like, uh, um, well, that was fun while it lasted. You know, it was cool to be a cop, but, you know, I guess we're just not cut out for it. And then they're, you know captain or whoever he is comes up and says you know well you got a lot to learn about police work you know we you're still you know don't give up on us yet you know we're still uh gonna be doing this thing you're still cops and they're like oh cool you know we're being accepted and and everything so so that was kind of cool like that that's a good first episode it did a good job of establishing all of these characters you know the the actual plot was like very sort of insignificant you know like the the white guy's girlfriend was the daughter of a senator and someone like got her to do LSD and then took a bunch of pictures of her while she was high. And then he, they were using those to blackmail the senator and, you know, all this stuff, which doesn't really matter. Was this the Kennedys by any chance? <laughs> Just no, curious. I, I don't think so, but... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was whatever, but there were these character moments which were built into it, you know, which were pretty cool. Like, you know, um, Peggy Lipton is like, I got an apartment, you know, and it's so cool and you guys have to come over and see it. And then, you know, Michael Cole is sitting in a car talking to Clarence Williams and Michael Cole's like, why is she so excited about that little one bedroom apartment? You know, it's just like four walls and and a door and, and that's it. And you know, Clarence Williams is like, it's a lot more than that to her, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of cool that, you know, they, they, they kind of play up that stuff. Um, the, the other episode that I watched was an episode which Harv Bennett wrote himself. And it was, uh, definitely a, a Clarence Williams centered episode, um, which featured Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. Um, I'm kicking myself. I should, I, I'm ashamed of myself for not watching that one. He 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 was actually in three episodes in three consecutive seasons. Oh, really? Yeah. And they were all bunched together like he was in episode 23 of season 1, episode 19 of season 2, and episode 6 of season 3. So they as different characters each time, you know? You would think that that uh, you know, he would uh be recognizable, you know? I mean, it's not like just a random dude or something like that. It's Sammy Davis Jr. There were but, different standards of continuity back then. There really guess, were. It was I guess more that's about, true. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess if you can get Sammy Davis Jr. to be in your TV show, then you do, right? Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I mean, he was all over TV back then, and that, which was great because he was always a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and he, uh, he played a priest who uh was like he was a priest at like a a an, an upscale white 
neighborhood church where the, the pastor was William Shallard from Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, yeah. And, and, um, and every other TV show ever <laughs> made. And um, basically, on the side, he was doing all this stuff to help the black community. And the church was mad at him for doing that, so they were going to, like, you know, suspend him or whatever. But the, the, the main plot is that there's a guy who's trying to kill him sending him death threats and stuff. And it turns out, coincidentally, that um, that guy is involved with the case that the, the mod squad is dealing with where a prisoner who was convicted of murder was had like a stay of execution and now it's going back to trial or something like that. Oh, and, wow. And, and, and the, the kind of like conflict is that um, Sammy Davis Jr., while being a priest in the penal system, whatever, you know, went and took this guy's confession. And now that he's not a priest anymore, the guy's afraid that he's going to um, testify against him. But here's the cool part, right? The guy, the bad guy, is played by Robert Duvall. Oh, come on. (laughs) Come on. That is too much awesome for one show. I know. So it's like Sammy Davis Jr. versus Robert Duvall, right? Oh! But then there's all this sort of like, I mean, in in the way that it goes like sort of above and beyond, you know, your standard uh, TV show is there's all this like conflict between the two of them because Sammy Davis Jr. is like, I'm not going to testify against you. I want to help you out. And Robert Duvall is like, I don't want to kill this guy. I just don't want to go to jail, you know? Yeah. So there is this sort of like social component to it. And there's the whole thing. I mean, like they compare Sammy Davis Jr.'s character to like Martin Luther King and stuff like that. So there's all this stuff that he's doing for the community and everything like that. It's pretty awesome. Now, uh, just I, I have to ask, because Sammy Davis Jr. Um, is a priest at one point, does that therefore make this fit into the Cannonball Run movie? Uh, continuity because we love continuity on this show. Does he play so, a priest on that? Yeah, him and Dean Martin. Oh, okay, see, I've it was, never it was seen either Cannonball, Cannonball Run, Run one or two, uh, and I, or were they anyway? In one of the two of them, uh, they they dressed up as priests for the Cannonball Run. So, I think this means it can fit in continuity. Okay, I'll, I'll buy it. All right, I'll buy it. Yes, yeah. and that episode was really good. And and the thing about it, like the thing about that episode, and more so than the pilot for sure, is. I'm like, this is where this show, you know, stands apart from like Mission Impossible, where, you know, we talked about Mission Impossible as being sort of like a procedural where it's the same thing every week yeah. and stuff like that. This was more along the lines of kind of like what we saw with, you know, Quincy to some extent and, and some of mm. those shows where it's like, you know, it's got or Star Trek even where it's got like this, you know, um, this message and, and this story and these characters who are actually doing things. Right, it's you know? doing something bigger with the format. Like, it, it's obeying the rules of the format while at the same time making it... Yeah, it, It's that sort of shift towards socially conscious television, that wave that would bring in Norman Lear and stuff like that later on. Uh, you know, you could argue that this was one of those ones along with Star Trek, along with, um, you know, other shows of the era that you know, were that first wave of shows that changed the way television was going to work for, you know, for good and forever. Yeah, for sure. 
And and I think that it's really kind of interesting to look at this show in in the context of the time and especially, you know, placing it next to Star Trek since they did overlap in that first season and kind of say like, well, what's going on here, you know? Yeah. What, what what is it doing that Star Trek didn't do or vice versa? Was Star Trek the only thing out there or is this what um, Star Trek was leading towards or, or what, you know? Well, I, I definitely think, uh, especially as Trek fans, it's easy to get very myopic about uh, what Star Trek is known for, which is, you know, pushing the boundaries. Uh, you know, everybody, you know, why recount everything and, you know, Everybody's talked about with the original series about the barriers that it broke and all of those sorts of things. But it, it's very easy as a Trek fan to forget that there were other shows like this that were part of that uh, and contributing to it. And there was even a uh, there was an interracial kiss on Mod Squad as well. Uh, yeah. But it it came after Treks, right? And yeah, yeah. And, and the network, but the network was still nervous. They still thought that they were going to get letters. Yeah, and and apparently they didn't get any, you know. So, that's that's cool, you know. And the fact that they were willing to sort of push push the the boundaries just like Star Trek was was definitely yeah. cool. I think the the other thing which is cool about it is, you know, stylistically like I don't know, I think maybe just because I was always comparing it to either Twilight Zone, which came, you know, right before it, or Next Gen, which came years later. But I always saw uh, the original series as being rather progressive uh, when it came to its uh, its filmmaking style, you know. Uh, it, it, it had a, a very sort of indie vibe to it. There was some handheld stuff and, and everything mm-hmm. like that. And I always kind of thought, like, you know, this is something that that next gen did wrong. Next gen, you know, sort of like the the uh, the template for the over over two shot style. You know, I mean, like I've said this before, like I was literally taught that style in film school using next generation as an example for like now, the most boring style you can imagine. Now, the slow down. I don't um, <laughs> I don't I, you know. Obviously, I know exactly what you're talking about, but could you explain what you just said to maybe somebody who doesn't have a great idea? Yes, I apologize. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. I mean, not me. Not me. I know exactly, you know, but for somebody, theoretically, who might also be bald and sitting somewhere else (laughs) listening to you right now. Okay, I apologize. (laughs) Um, The the over-over two-shot style or whatever is like the most basic form of coverage that you can use when shooting a movie or a TV show, where basically if you think of it, if there's, let's say, two people having a conversation, you have three basic shots. One is Mm -hmm. a master or a two-shot where you see both of the people in the room, you know, so that you get a sense of space, get a sense of where the characters are in relation to each other, that sort of thing. You usually do that first. And then Uh, after... After you shoot that, then you do the overs, which are over-the-shoulder shots, where you'll have the camera over one person's shoulder looking at the other person, and then you go to the other side and shoot the second person looking over the other person's shoulder. So it's, it's a really sort of basic way to make sure that you get a coverage of everything in the scene and then close-ups of each of the characters. And even though it's sort of reversed in the in the saying, it's called an, the over-over two-shot style or whatever. Now, see, what's fascinating is uh, I did know the, the 
the process there, I didn't know the term. So now yeah. I'm going to every single opportunity I get for the next week. And listeners, I invite you to <laughs> use this term and be like, oh, I'm sorry, you don't know what over over two is. <laughs> That's our little gift to you. Yes, yes. Glad we can help out. But um, Next Gen is notorious for utilizing that style to a ridiculous degree, to the to the point of doing no sort of experimentation or anything like that. That is a boring show to look at visually. It really is. Whereas the original series, sure, it did that too, but it would also throw in some crazy stuff every once in a while. And I always sort of thought of the original series as being really progressive. But looking at things like Mission Impossible and now this, I see that other television shows were going way above and beyond even what the original series was doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it was weird. I don't know when the shift occurred because there was a time in like the 80s or 90s or maybe it's just the shows that I was watching where things got really boring now, I mean, now we've got all of the top filmmakers in the world making television shows. So, you know, I think that it, that's really sort of upped, upped the standard in terms of uh, making TV shows a bit more cinematic and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the original series wasn't as stylistically progressive as I thought it was. Yeah, know. but it had a spaceship. So that was, oh, yeah. you know... It had that bonus points for that, yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) So looking at at Harv Bennett's career and the stuff that he had done before this, he had written just a couple of things, uh, nothing that really took off. He produced one show which barely lasted at all. So, I mean, this is, for all intents and purposes, the world's introduction to Harv Bennett. And uh, I think it's a a pretty solid intro. Yeah, yeah. I could understand why he made a name for himself with this show. Yeah. Like what, why he would be considered for other work. This is a good calling card to come up with. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. And given uh, sort of the social consciousness of this show, it makes a lot of sense why, uh, you know, they would look to him for Star Trek because, you know, he was working contemporaneously with the original show, even though it was only for a year, but, you know, he came from a background where the the same tradition as Star Trek of, you know, these character driven, socially conscious um, pieces. And, you know, yeah, Star Trek, too, is socially conscious, you know, because because I could see somebody's immediate reaction to be, well, you know, he came on for Star Trek, too. And that's really about getting older. But that's a very relevant social topic for people to, you know, be thinking about and be talking about, like the the place of older people and also the development of technology and how it can be used for bad things or good things, depending on who's using it. And so I I think it makes complete sense, you know, just even if we weren't looking at anything else, I could look at mod squad and say, yeah, okay. I can see why he would belong with the star Trek family. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot of uh, science fiction stuff, which he, he, did as well and you know we'll get into some of that in the coming weeks but the themes which are dealt with here are um in keeping with the themes of star trek and that's equally as important you're right well it's been fun talking about the mod squad today but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on trek fm this past week so here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network 
Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And I think it was a very anticlimactic thing for a lot of people because they were expecting me to to do, you know, my raw and ranting thing, but instead I just was like, oh, that's depressing. Okay, bye. Earl Grey. They've now shifted into the Biff-controlled 1985. Who got a hold of the Almanac in order to turn yesterday's Enterprise? The Enterprise-C is the DeLorean in this scenario. The Orb. I'd like to see the Borg assimilate Ferenginar, and then they would become bankers. You know, I could see... Oh my gosh, I could see bankers. drones. Yeah, yeah. The, the world's strictest <laughs> bank ever. Right. I'm sorry, you have not paid your loan. You will be assimilated. <laughs> the nanites go into you. Yes. <laughs> to the journey. I, I, I kind of want something with a little bit more teeth. For some okay. reason, like like starting a garden just doesn't scream mirror universe to me. <laughs> starting a garden doesn't have teeth. <laughs> the ready room. I hate to put it this way, but maybe in, in some strange twisted logical sense if archer just kind of flew on by and didn't help the colonists the enterprise d would have never crash landed on viridian so it's not troy's fault it's captain archer's fault literary tricks this is this is something that doesn't get done a lot in books because i don't think the time period's supposed to be that long Mm -hmm. but what did you end up thinking about having a story take place before where no man's gone before well i thought personally that it was really cool the 602 club my two favorite scenes in the film are cap saying language (laughs) and then the rest of what the jokes that go with that and then cap moving the hammer just enough then thor's face when he can't pick it up is priceless and that's what else is happening on trek.fm Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our show on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can look on the sidebar of the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. If you want to find the network on Twitter, you can go to at trek.fm. If you want to find us on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com slash trek.fm. That's also where we have the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. So, John, where can people find you on the internet? 
You can find me crawling around Twitter at Kessel Junkie, and you can also find me uh, on a weekly show called Words with Nerds with my buddy Craig uh, that appears uh, Thursdays on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, etc. You can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, uh, or you can find all of us on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email all of us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find me right here on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with Drew, or you can find me on my own website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do Commentary TrackStars off-topic with, uh, well, Max when he uh, gets out from underneath those tribbles, and Brandon. Uh, and we also do commentary track star babies where uh, we do audio commentaries for television shows. And yeah, that's about it. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary track stars in all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. What do you have for us today, John? Well, uh, available on Audible is uh, the the adapted novelization of Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, narrated by Leonard Nimoy and George Takei, with story credit to Leonard Nimoy, Harv Bennett, and Vonda McIntyre. To save Earth from destruction, Kirk's crew must rescue a part of the past. From the towering Star Trek motion picture featuring a dramatic reading by Leonard Nimoy and George Takei and enhanced with sound effects and the original Star Trek television series theme music. And you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. Well, that's it for the Mod Squad. Next week we've got the second Harv Bennett show. It's kind of weird. We're kind of uh, skipping over some of the stuff which he's most famous for, which is the, the $6 million man and the bionic woman and stuff because he didn't really create those we're just focusing on the stuff that he created and next week we'll be taking a look at the second show which he created the invisible man 